Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Holy God, reveal your presence to us this day as we journey this path with your Son through all of life's trials and tribulations. Your word sustains us for the journey ahead. Send your Spirit upon us that we might listen, discern, and take heart. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Psalms 22, verses 1 through 11. My God, my God, why have you left me alone? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my anguished groans? My God, I cry out during the day, but you don't answer. Even at nighttime, I don't stop. You are the Holy One. Enthroned, you are Israel's praise. Our ancestors trusted you. They trusted you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you, and they were saved. They trusted you, and they weren't ashamed. But I'm just a worm, less than human insulted by one person, despised by another. All who see me make fun of me. They gape, shaking their heads. He committed himself to the Lord, so let the God rescue him. Let God deliver him, because God likes him so much. But you are the one who pulled me from the womb, placing me safely at my mother's breast. I was thrown to you from birth, You've been my savior God since I was in my mother's womb. Please don't be far from me because trouble is near and there's no one to help. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I just want to say if you were here last week, I get all the happy Psalms. That's, you know, okay, you weren't here last week. All right. Um, last week we talked about um, uh, by the rivers of Babylon. We talked about the role of anger uh, in our prayer and our faith life. And then today uh, we talk about Psalm 22, what it means to lament and learning how to lament. As we think about um, these heavy topics, these heavy subjects, um, it was interesting last week, I got a number of uh, texts and emails. Um, some were from folk who said, how could you? How could you have us recite um, uh, Psalm 137 together? And then I had others, almost about a doubling of those, that said, thank you for dealing with anger. Thank you for talking about what it means when life has been difficult for us and we want to lash out, and how best to see that in a life of faith. Really, for this sermon, it, it really is the, the capstone, the beginning place, the first seed or muse for this whole sermon series. As we were thinking about what to do during Lent, that what would be a, a place where the community and the congregation are, we thought, you know, about six months or so following Hurricane Harvey, probably be good to look at the power of the Psalms in our prayer life and also the emotions that come up in difficult times. We think about what do you do after the storm? What do you do after um, a loss of a loved one? What do you do after the divorce? I uh, affectionately refer to things like this as the four Ds. 
Uh, really, there's more than four D's, so don't get really like, I've got to write each one down in order, because usually I start with death, diagnosis, uh, divorce, but then make up the rest. Because there are words that begin with D that push us off our balance and, ask, uh, and cause us to ask the word, why? Why me? Why this? Why now? What does all of this mean for us? Learning to lament is the process of walking through that disorder, that disruption, that death, that disaster, and at some point coming out the other side. When I think about a true biblical lament, um, a biblical lament would be described as a prayer which is both ruthlessly honest about the present hurt, but yet still clings tenaciously to the goodness of God. You see, the psalmist, Psalm 22, is not um, giving up on God, not walking away from God, but, but honestly, almost brutally talking about the place where he is but never lets go of God. If you look at the whole of Psalm uh, 22, it is a rhythm and dance between spaces and places where I am but a worm. People make fun of me. I, uh, um, the bulls surround me like roaring lions. These places of brutal honesty where either danger is coming or already has come. But then you get these moments uh, that come back together where he says, uh, you have been my God forever. You are Israel's praise that from my mother's breast I have been thrown to you and you have been my God all my life. And notice there's no but. There's no but. But now, after the storm, but now, after the divorce, but now, after the death, I'm no longer going to call you my God. No buts here. It's really this dance between brutal honesty and the loving and caring connection to God. A biblical lament is something that happens often throughout our scriptures. Um, if you're, hopefully you're not surprised, but there's uh, a whole book called, you got it, Lamentations. Yeah, it, audience participation helps. Um, uh, fully one-third of the Psalms uh, have a formula of lament, this kind of brutal honesty, but then connection with the goodness of God. And so if you had thought to yourself that faith is only about the high times, the good times, the times in which we feel like we are uh, where we are supposed to be, I have to say that um, in doing uh, pastoral care and counseling over the last 20 years, I cannot tell you how many times people come into my office and say, if I love God and God loves me, why is this happening to me? Or if I love God and God loves me, why do I feel this way? In between services last Sunday, someone said, thank you for preaching on anger. I thought anger was contradictory to the faith life and that there was something wrong with me. It's amazing. Our scriptures carry and hold feelings together. Um, if we ask a little bit more deeper about the elements of a lament, uh, we would find that a lament is always addressed to God. It's always, um, why God? And it's this honesty around pain and anger, and it asks God to act. 
It asks God to, to intervene. It asks God to do the things that God can do. Remember when we were talking about the penitential psalms, uh, create in me a clean heart, O God. That that word create, that verb itself, is 90% of the time in Hebrew is used only to define the divine action of God. That that intervention, that creation, is a holy and supernatural thing. It's not able for us to intervene on our own. I want to read a quote to you. Lament is not despair. It's not whining. That was what I was always told growing up, right? Rub some dirt in it. You know, walk it off, right? I, I loved the moment when I had actually broken a bone in my foot playing football. Um, and for a week, um, my loving community and family told me to walk it off um, and to rub dirt in it until I went to an orthopedic surgeon. And the doctor said, you need surgery. I didn't do the I told you so, but you get the idea. Lament is not despair. Lament is not whining. It is not a cry into an empty void. Lament is a cry directed to God. It's the cry of those who see the truth of the world's deep wounds and the cost of seeking peace. It is the prayer of those who are deeply disturbed by the way things are. You might say, well, Pastor Peter, that's great, but uh, nobody laments these days. There's no expression of modern lament. We just keep soldiering on, doing what we do, uh, waiting for retirement, waiting for the end, waiting for what's next, waiting for spring break. Can I get an amen from some teachers, right? No one laments anymore. Well, um, I will divide the room right now, right? You will love me or you will hate me. Um, in the 60s, Bob Dylan, blow it in the wind, right? Uh, how many seas must a white dove sail before she sleeps in the sand? And how many ears must one man have before he can hear people cry? Whether you liked Dylan or not, Dylan named a moment in the midst of history and uh, said lament over it. For the other half of the room that didn't like that, um, Mahalia Jackson, uh, if you get a chance, pull up on YouTube, Martin Luther King's funeral. Mahalia Jackson, a wonderful, amazing uh, gospel and R&B singer, uh, takes the simple hymn, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, and sings it as a solo in the midst of MLK's funeral. And the words are transformed into a lament. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired. I am weak, I am worn. Do you feel the weight of the lament in those words? What do we do when we come upon a place where that disruption, that disorder has happened in our lives? Well, we act like the psalmists would act. We name it honestly, loudly. Um, I often advise people when doing pastoral care, when no one else is home, go into a room and shut the door and yell. <laughs> Name it aloud. Uh, uh, the psalmist uh, also then invites God to act and then trusts that God will come, that God will be there. But the word we have to put with it is eventually. Right, the, the Israelites, they wandered in the desert uh, wanting to go to the promised land. How long did they wait? 40 years. 
right? When we start thinking about how long does it take for something to happen, eventually, I think, is an honest, grace-filled word. Now, some of us want to wonder, why in the world um, does Jesus recite this psalm on the cross, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whoa, whoa, wait. We've spent three years with Jesus. We've heard all these wonderful stories of him healing, of him feeding the 5,000, of him having the right answer in the right moment, and we are told and taught in church to be like Jesus. And here Jesus says in that moment of desperation when disorder and disruption has happened in his life, he says, my God, my God, why have you left me? And to be honest, like maybe um, Jesus just, he pulled the wrong one, right? He he was really shooting for Psalm 23, but instead Psalm 22 came out. I mean, why not Psalm 23? Why not, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Doesn't that sound like a more appropriate WWJD kind of moment? But instead we get, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Scholars say that it's because in that moment, though God has always been present to Jesus, that the humanity of Jesus cried out in that um, uh, very desperate moment of being rejected by the world, of being crucified for the cause, of knowing uh, the pain and body physical experience that was coming. Some scholars say that um, the prophecy that talked about Jesus um, sweating blood, that that was a medical experience, that that medical experience has been documented uh, in modern day medicine, that one is, when one is so desperate, so uh, dejected, uh, fro- so betrayed by the world around them, that that stress on the body can cause the sweat glands to break down, that the walls of the um, arteries, veins, and uh, capillaries begin to flood the sweat glands, and that the person will begin to sweat blood. You see, for God, for Jesus to be fully human and to be fully God, it is necessary for him not to walk 10 feet off the ground, to easily take himself off the cross, to easily go to death and to rise again. Because if it's just so simple and easy, has he really lived in our experience because what's not lived is not redeemed. And so on the cross, he redeems it all by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think what's powerful is that Psalm 22 is used throughout the New Testament. You you can Google uh, Psalm 22 references and it will come up in each of the gospels. It'll even uh, come up in Acts. I want you to know that um, Psalm 22 is not uh, an amazing psalm because Jesus says it. Jesus says it because it's an amazing psalm. Because it is part of the life and hymnody and prayer of the Hebrew people. And so in that place of uh, greatest darkness, Jesus lifts up. You know, for me... um, uh, in, in terms of my story and my time, I remember early on, uh, right after I got married, um, right after I took my first church, um, I went to a doctor. I'd had strange symptoms, and lo and behold, the doctor says, you have a genetic disorder, and if you don't have surgery, uh, you'll get stage four colon cancer within about five years. Wow, that'll wake you up. 
And here I was, really worried. All I could think about was one of those wonderful, um, they, had, they had taken the digestive system, right, with the guy with the face looking this way and then like all the guts, but it's only from here up, right? And he took a red pen and he, he, he marked right here up by my throat and he marked down towards the end right there and he says, we need to take all this out. And I thought, my God, my God, really? I'm newly married. I got, I got a church. I, supposedly, I've been doing all the things you've asked me to do. Why this? Why now? Do you feel the moment of lament in that? I knew God would show up. I just didn't expect that God would show up at the very next Sunday as I taught a Sunday school class of young marrieds, not unlike Pastor Josh does here. And it came to prayer concern times, and I pulled out that piece of paper and I said, they say I have this, I don't know how to pronounce it. They say they're gonna cut here and cut there. And one person on one side of me that had been part of the Sunday school class for a year said, oh, I'm a researcher in cancer treatment and in colon cancer, here's what this means for you. And the guy on the other side says, I'm in medical school, my mentor, is the world-renowned person who deals with this disorder. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think there's a powerful moment for all of us as we realize that uh, even though in the moment uh, we feel as if God is not present, even in the moment we feel as if we've been abandoned or betrayed, even in the moment we feel as if all is against us, that word eventually is powerful. And to be able to lament and invite God to act is equally powerful. Brene Brown, I'll close with this quote. Brene Brown uh, writes about shame and difficulty and um, she's kind of actually a social science researcher um, who's done some really great work in understanding the emotional process of failure and difficulty. She says, I thought faith would say, I'll take away the pain and comfort. But what it ended up saying was, I'll sit with you in it. I thought, I thought faith would say, I'll take away the pain and the comfort. But what faith did say is I'll sit with you in it. It's a powerful thing to confess a God. Not just a God who comes in human form and dies on the cross and is raised on the third day, but a God that will sit with us on our morning bench. A God who will sit next to us and care for us in a time of disruption, in a time of disorder. It's a powerful thing to say that God walks with us in our pain until eventually the pain is made better. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.